Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Centennial Church. If you're our guest this morning, a special welcome to you. Um, There is a connection card, hopefully in some of the seats around you, that you can grab. We'd love uh, to pray with you. There's a place for prayer requests on there. If you uh, don't have a pen around you, we also have a CC app. You can download our Centennial Church app, and there's a place there to uh, give your prayer request as well. Find out other things about what's happening. There uh, are too many things happening. If you were here at the beginning of the service for the announcements Richard gave, uh, there's too much happening to spend too much time on it. So uh, please download that app and check on that regularly to see what's happening around here, uh, particularly in the coming weeks as we, as we relaunch the fall. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Get the app, read those things, and uh, join us uh, in some of these things. I'm sure that uh, everyone here this morning is familiar with the organization, the Boy Scouts of America, right? What you may not be familiar with, at least I was not familiar with, is that for many years, the Boy Scouts of America have had a program called the Lone Scout Program. And this is a program that they made for kids of expats, people overseas, people in uh, secluded kind of small town areas, and it was an opportunity to afford these little guys that want to be scouts to be a scout by themselves. It sounds pretty depressing to me, but the Lone Scout program, I had a professor in seminary who was a part of this as his dad traveled for international work. He wanted to be a scout, and the only way to do it was through the Lone Scout program, so he enrolled in the Lone Scout program, and he had his troop meetings by himself, and he uh, earned his badges and was pinned with his badges by himself. And he would go on campouts by himself. And uh, that sounds like a pretty backwards way of being a Boy Scout, uh, if you uh, understand the Boy Scouts the way I do. Uh, That seems exactly kind of the opposite experience that you would want as a scout. But it happens. This morning and in this new fall series we're launching, I want to compare the Lone Scout program with the idea of being a Christian apart from the body of Christ. You just wouldn't come up with that idea on your own. Or at least it's not the intention uh, of God that he would have lone Christians out there camping, working Uh, fellowshipping by themselves. It's just not intrinsic to the idea of following Christ to do that alone. But as many of us uh, read and as many of us experience, the world, though more and more connected, is getting more and more alone. We are doing things uh, by ourselves. We are less connected than we've ever been. And the point of this sermon series is for us to kind of rethink what it looks like to really walk with Jesus and that that requires a community of people. It requires a church to follow Christ along with. Christ didn't intend us to walk this path alone. We're not intended to be lone ranger or lone scout Christians. 
So that's what we're going to be focusing on, the theme, dwell together. Dwell has been our theme word for this entire calendar year, and we decided that we wanted to take some time in the fall to really kind of shore up this idea of community and deepening uh, relationships among one another. Uh, we do sense just in this area, we sense in our, in our own body there is some fragmentation, there's some isolation, and our hope in this series is that uh, you, whether this is your first time here or whether you've been around here for years, that as we open God's Word, we would uh, not only deepen with the Lord, but we would deepen with one another as we walk with the Lord. I want to begin this morning by turning our attention to a psalm, uh, Psalm 133. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it uh, there with me. And it's a short psalm, it's just three verses, and we're actually going to skip around uh, this morning. Some of these passages will be on the screens, others I might uh, throw a curveball here and uh, surprise us all. But uh, Psalm 133 is just three verses, and we'll just kind of look through this and then jump to the New Testament here in a minute. Uh, But listen to the declaration of Psalm 133.1. Verse 1 says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So in this psalm, the the writer is going to make a declaration, and in the the verses following, he's going to make two comparisons about what the goodness of unity and doing life together is like. But first of all, you notice that he addresses the the community, the covenant community here, Israel, in this first verse as brothers. Now, ladies, don't feel left out, okay? Uh, it was one of those kind of cultures, but he implies here, and in fact, this, uh, the occasion of this psalm is when the whole nation of Israel is journeying, journeying up to Jerusalem for a festival, and they would sing this song, and they would be together in unity, and he calls them, the description there is not, uh, hey, adherents of Yahweh, but the title is brothers, brothers and sisters. How pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And this is a hard thing to push against in Collin County. It's a hard thing to push against in 2018. But we are not just ticket holders or shareholders in a church uh, located in the same zip code as some other people. But that the community of the church is, is brothers and sisters People that have significant amount of time together, not just one hour a week, but that there is a commonality because of our common father. We don't just bank at the same location. We don't just share the same HOA dues or the same political alliances, but we share the same blood. It's not our blood, but it's the blood of Jesus who has bought us and has brought us into family. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters. So the call of the covenant community of God, whether Old Testament or New Testament, has never been just to attend. 
but to be brothers and sisters, walking along arm in arm, hand in hand, struggle and struggle and joy and joy and joy and joy and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate, to walk in unity and relationship of brothers and sisters. Now, that sounds all sweet and nice until you think about your relationship with your brothers and sisters, right? Uh, Because there is an idea of intimacy, but all of us know that that is not always an easy relationship. And as I was thinking about this idea of brotherhood and sisterhood this week, I was reminded of some, of, of some turf battles and some, and some battles with my own older brother, who's three years older than me. And, and we could duke it out. We could, we could get along. We could celebrate together. We could protect one another, but we could also turn on each other, Right? I remember one particular time running away from uh, my brother as my life was threatened before me, and I just happened to have my pellet gun with me, and I'm running and running, but all of a sudden I said, I've got a weapon here. So I turned, took a knee, and shot him right in the quad, and he fell down to the pellet. Brothers and sisters don't always celebrate together. Sometimes they take shots at each other because we get frustrated, and we've got that that, that thing that we do that just annoys everybody else in the family, and we've got those times at the family reunion where Cousin Eddie shows up, and he's just, he's just Cousin Eddie. And so lest we think this is all just, you know, fun and games and everything's being brothers and sisters uh, can be a sweet picture. It can also be a very difficult picture. And walking together with one another, walking together as a church family can be dangerous, and it can hurt, but it's worth it. And he, he, he says, he gives these descriptions here as he goes on to verses 2 and 3. He says, well, first of all, he says it's good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. It is objectively good, and it's subjectively pleasant. It's enjoyable when the family is getting along well, right? But it's quite unpleasant when there's bickering, when there's squabbling, when the kids are fighting in the back seat and they just won't get along. But when it's happening, when things are in sync, he compares it, uh, verse 2, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. His first comparison here is like anointing oil. And this anointing oil, it's on Aaron, who was a priest. And they would anoint the priest with oil, and they, they would anoint them so much. I mean, we're not talking like little dabs of, you know, young living essential oils here. We're talking about just, it's dripping all the way down his collars, right? And that smell becomes an aroma to the people around because of the special spices and oils that were a part of that anointing oil. It, it, it's a scent that uh, the oil gives off that is good and sweet, a sweet fragrance. It sets apart this priest who is unlike others, holy, set apart for this certain task. And our unity as believers in God is to set us apart from the world, to be a fragrant aroma to the world. But too often, as many of us have experienced, when that unity is broken, it can be a stench. And we've experienced that. No doubt everyone in this 
congregation has experienced that. But if we pursue one another as we're all pursuing God, that, that unity can be a sweet fragrance that sets us apart from the world. And doesn't the world need to see a group of people, regardless of background, regardless of income, regardless of skin color, regardless of political alignments, to be able to get together and love one another in spite of, yea, because of our differences? What a pleasant, powerful aroma. If you and I just take this seriously, not just to be attenders, but to be brothers and sisters who walk with one another in the good and the bad. He gives another comparison in verse 3. The first one of, of oil and the, the priest, Aaron, being anointed. The, the second one from nature. It is like the dew of Hermon, this mountain north of Jerusalem. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Here, uh, what most commentators say is the, the idea here of this dew. And uh, Mount Hermon would receive more rainfall, more precipitation than any other area around uh, the holy land there. And the idea of dew here is, is it's refreshing, it's life-giving. Again, it's, it's pleasant, but it's, it's reinvigorating, it's refreshing to live together with one another. I hope you've experienced it. And if you have experienced it, you know how some ways that you can bring it into your community, into your Bible study here, or into your fellowship as you invite people into your homes as a church family, that you can experience that type of refreshment. Flip with me. Uh, this, is, uh, this is off the top of my head here. Uh, Philemon, okay, found this this week and just was reminded of the sweetness, uh, the way Paul says it here to this guy named Philemon. He's writing to Philemon, uh, verse 7. This is just one chapter New Testament book. Uh, this is not on the screen, I'm sorry. But listen to the way Paul describes this guy Philemon. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Refreshed through you. What, what do you think about when you think about refreshment? You know, when I get uh, uh, done with a bike ride or I've been mowing the lawn yesterday afternoon and I'm just tired and I'm thirsty, and they, like so I told Elizabeth last night, gosh, this water is just, is just so, you can't get enough of it, Right? Especially from the garden hose when it has that kind of metallic taste to it, you know. <sighs> so good. What, what do you think? Maybe you can't say it in church, okay? But it's so refreshing. This ice cold drink that just refreshes you. And this is the compliment that he pays to this guy, Philemon, that you, your presence, being with you, your love has brought joy and comfort because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a trait, what a compliment to show up and refresh the hearts of other people. He says it again in verse 20 of Philemon here. He says, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. We need refreshment, don't we? I look out amongst us and I look even in my own soul this morning, we need refreshment, don't we? Because we're thirsty. Because we're dry. 
because we're tired. And there's different ways that that comes to us. One of those ways is through the Word of God. But here, we see in these passages and others that some of that refreshment comes through one another. And I know that for many of us, and, and I put myself in this same category, sometimes when hard things come, sometimes when you're tired, sometimes uh, when you're beat down, what you want to do instead of being with other people is pulling away. That's exactly in those difficult times that we need to be with one another for the purpose of refreshment. I've said this before, but um, I'm encouraged. Every Friday morning, I join our men at our Friday morning men's Bible study, and there's some mornings I want to sleep in. In fact, I almost did this week because my internal alarm didn't go off the way it normally does, so I was a few minutes late. But uh, it, when I skip that, I, I miss it because it refreshes my soul. Even if we just spend time in prayer that morning, it refreshes my soul to open up God's Word, to share prayer requests, to share difficulties with one another. It is a refreshment to my soul. Jesus uh, talked about the power of this life together. I want you to turn a, want us to turn our attention now to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And this is uh, toward the end of Jesus' ministry as he is going to go to the cross. And it's called the high priestly prayer or uh, the upper room discourse. But in Chapters 13 through 17, Jesus is giving this long teaching, this long instruction, and as he gets to chapter 17, we're getting this intimate look at the prayer of Jesus as he prays to the Father. And it's fascinating that as he's going to leave his disciples, as he's going to go to the cross and he's instructing these guys in kind of in last words, he gives them such uh, an insight into the intimacy that he has with the Father, and he asks, he requests, he prays for their intimacy together, for their oneness together. Look with me uh, in John chapter 17. Let's start actually in verse 11. John chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus praying here and he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one. You might want to underline one right there. That they may be one. And then look at the comparison. Even as we are one. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And in a verse 20, when we look at those in a minute, we're going to see even the disciples that were to come after those disciples. And, and his, his prayer requests, his hope in this high, entire chapter is that they would be a set-apart family, a unity. Within their diversity, there would be this incredible oneness that pictures whose oneness? Jesus' oneness with the Father. We worship one God in three persons, a trinity of persons forever unbroken in constant love and self-givingness in relation to one another. And, and Jesus prays, I want this family, I want this church to have the oneness, Father, that you and I know. That's miraculous. That's, that's amazing that he's inviting us into this dance, into this love relationship of God the Father, Son, and Spirit, that it might be something refreshing and attractive to the world. Flip on uh, down below to verse 20 with me. 
He says, I do, not ask only, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. And then again, the comparison, that they, all may, that they may all be one, underlined, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And then the purpose statement, that they, all, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world is going to see Christ in us as we live differently than the world around us, as we give our lives in service to one another, as we even invite one another in difficult times to live with us in our homes, as we give sacrificially to help those who are without work at the moment. As we come together of different classes and different races and are united not by those worldly things, but by that only thing that will last eternally unifying the blood of Jesus. That's a picture. That's an attraction. That's an invitation of the world to say, hmm, what's going on over there at Centennial Church? What's different about that house and that small gathering that's happening on that Wednesday night in that home over there on that Sunday night? Verse uh, 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as, again, comparison, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, here it is again, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. This morning, uh, or tonight, I should say, John Bachelman's got a friend that's going to give a Middle East update uh, to us. So many of you hopefully can come tonight at 6 o'clock. But those of us that have traveled around the world, when you meet believers in other areas, whether it's the Middle East or Africa or wherever you go, when you're in fellowship with other believers, it's amazing as you gather with other Christians, the oneness that you immediately feel because the spirit that unites us, right? Some of you have traveled, some of you have experienced this. You, you can have totally different backgrounds. You can be from first world, third world, and you meet those believers, and you share the scriptures in common. And there's a unity, and there's a love that is just automatic because you have the spirit in common, because you have the Savior in common. And that's this mysterious union, this mysterious unity that Jesus says is supposed to characterize us as believers, and it sets us apart from, apart from the world and then attracts the world to join us. How do we do that? Running around as busy and as packed and as full and as, as just, on, just on edge as we all are, how do we become that kind of people? And I just want to beg you through this series, it's not going to be just on, by 75 minutes on Sunday morning. We have got to get out of rows and into circles to share our, our difficulties with one another, to come around those that are hurting, to pray for one another as we go into difficult places in our business, play, as we have pressures to compromise our integrity as moms are just trying to get things done day to day and keep their head above water, 
we are going to have to prioritize not only the gathering of worship together, but also the gathering and community of our groups. And so one of the, the major takeaway uh, this morning, and will continue to be throughout this series, is what steps are you going to take to not just be an attender at Centennial Church, but to really go deeper with brothers and sisters in Christ? And hey, maybe you're here this morning, this is your second time, your third time here, and I'm like, hey, give me some time. Hey, I'm, I'll give you some time, okay? That's totally appropriate. But at some point, we have to put down roots. And the, 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 the passages in the New Testament where it says, love one another, the authors that are writing those passages, love one another, he's writing, they're writing those passages to a, to a group of people. To a church, to, he's, he's not just saying love just kind of everybody out there, though we're supposed to be loving people, but he's saying love those people in your church, church at Ephesus. Love one another, Corinthians. Love one another, Philippians. Be a church that is growing ever and ever deeper in relationship with one another. We're busy Our schedules are full, but are, are we full relationally, or are we living lives of, of isolation, of loneliness? I want to give us uh, a quick here assessment, okay? And don't write these questions down. These are on the sermon notes on the app if you want them. You might want to discuss these uh, within your community group or within your Bible study. But just five assessment questions here. They just, you just kind of do this in your mind or maybe write it down on your phone. First of all, number one, does someone other than your spouse know your current struggles and challenges? You might need to back up here and say, does your spouse know your current <laughs> struggles and challenges? If we're deepening as brothers and sisters, that, that ought to be reality that people are praying with, for us, with us and for us intelligently. Other than your family, who do you regularly pray for? Now, there should be some people sitting around you, sitting next to you in your community group tonight that you regularly pray for. Question number three, when is the last time you hosted someone at your home or met for coffee for the purpose of deepening spiritual friendship? Now, these are not the only ways to gauge genuine community, but there's some ways When's the last time you just called somebody up and said, let's grab a meal just for the purpose of encouraging one another, meeting together, breaking bread, and sharing life together? When's the last time that happened? Number four, when was the last time you confessed to a friend a recent temptation or sin? Ooh, we're really supposed to do that? I thought that was just Catholics do that. No, it says in the New Testament, confess your sins one to another. It's part of carrying one another's burdens. Is there anyone in your life that you could call at 7.30 in the morning and say, I've got an appointment today that's really going to be challenging, it's really going to be uh, difficult, will you please pray for me at 10.30 or whatever? Is there anyone in your life, if there, is there anyone in this church family that you have that type of relationship Number five, would you consider yourself to be more available for fellowship or active in initiating? I mean, most, even if you're an introvert, at some point deep in your heart, you want connection with other people. 
But most of us are kind of like waiting for someone to come up to us and invite us to coffee. But we learn from God himself. 1 John 1.19, it says that we love because he first loved us, right? Godly love takes the initiative. It steps out first. It makes the invitation to say, hey, come over to our house. We're grilling out. It takes the initiative. Love takes the initiative. So I want to challenge you not just to be available this week, but to maybe what, what would be a step that you could take to kind of put yourself out there with someone else to grow in depth of relationship? What could you do? I don't want us to be just a church of attenders. I don't want us just to be a a place with some great songs and it's energizing and a decent talk from somebody up front and then we go on about our full lives. I need you. And you need others. But we live in a culture of church attending, but not church living. And I want to challenge each of us to be consistent, to take a step of faith, to ask a deeper question, to invite a new family out to lunch today to take some step of vulnerability to place yourself in deeper community with one another. Here's the, here's the tension in this. Here's the tension. There's lots of tensions in this, but here's one of the tensions in this. And as for church leadership, is to build a culture of this where it happens dynamically, it happens organically. It's, it's just who we are becoming, we are becoming more like Jesus, who is an includer, who is a lover of humanity. But then there's those of us, particularly those of us that are more introverted, and guess what? I put myself in that category. You may not think so, but... And we have to have systems. We have to have sign-ups. We have to have kind of the, the door opened for us. And so not only do we want to build a culture of community at Centennial Church, but we want to have avenues for you to kind of push that along. So Richard, earlier in our service, said that we're starting this new thing. Here's a, here's a way to put your, put your toes in the water. We're doing this thing called Dinners for Eight. You can sign up today out in the lobby at the Connection Center, which means that you just gather with some people, eight, nine-ish, seven-ish, dinner, not always dinner, but maybe it's a game night one time, and you just meet once a month to, to just try to get to know some people in this room a little bit deeper. Maybe they're folks that aren't in your community group, or maybe you're just brand new here and you're just like, I, I just kind of need a door open. Check out Dinner for Eight. And then weekly, I said this uh, uh, a while ago, but we have 10 opportunities weekly for people to gather together, not in rows, but in circles, to share prayer requests and to say, I don't understand this about the Bible. Help me know this. So we have community groups that meet throughout the week in homes. We also have men's Bible studies and ladies' Bible studies. Ladies' Bible studies will start up here as we get into September. And some of you, your first step may just be next week 
when we have our membership class called Starting Point. Put your toes in the water, ask some questions, and see if this might be the place for you to go deeper with brothers and sisters. A lone scout is a lonely scout. And a lonely Christian is an oxymoron. Let's all take a step. Let's all go a little bit deeper. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that when we were lost and when we were lonely, when we were rebellious and away from you, that you took the first step and you came to us in Jesus. Lord, make us like Jesus. Help us to take off our masks. Help us to love sacrificially. Help us to carry one another's burdens. Help us to have the courage to confess our sins and our hurts and our brokenness to one another. And while that may not happen this morning, Lord, we know um, that your desire for us to get to that place with one another where we can truly love one another deeply. Jesus, we thank you for your blood, your coming, your blood and body that were sacrificed for us to give us a unity greater than our economics, greater than our politics, greater than our nationality, something deeper and something eternal that makes all those things pale in comparison. Jesus, I pray that as we grow closer to you, you would empower us by your spirit to grow closer with one another. For our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.